1: Mo Mad Cow. Mad Cow. Mad Cow, Mad Cow line dance song. Hey Sanghai Nation, welcome to the show on another Friday afternoon. Sanghai with you as normal. Some show notes if you are looking for some professional wrestling here in the next few days. Tonight. WCWO at the Outlaw Arena in Indianapolis, Indiana, 1151 South Kentucky Avenue. You have Flophouse Wrestling making its debut in Cincinnati, Ohio, ACW in DeMott, Indiana, and FGW in Hamilton, Ohio, Tomorrow Night Emerge in Columbus, Indiana, Timber Pro Wrestling in Everett, Washington, ESW in Buffalo, New York, DCCW in Muncie, Indiana, Supreme Wrestling in Madison, Indiana, PWK in Knox, Indiana, Heroes and Legends in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, MSWA in Rockwood, Tennessee, PAPW in East Haven, Connecticut, NWR in Decatur, Illinois, and MMWA happening in St. Louis, Missouri tomorrow. So if you have some wrestling near you, get out there and support your local independents. Without further ado, I want to welcome back to the show one of our favorite guests to have on here in talk wrestling, Jarvis Young. Welcome back to the show. We definitely appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Well, I
0: don't know if I can uh, follow that introduction, but howdy, y'all. That's kind of how we say hello in Texas.
1: Now, for the fans that recall, and if they do not, you, of course, are in the Dallas area, but you yeah. originally are from New Mexico, which a lot of fans may not realize in the territorial days of wrestling had a pretty good History of professional wrestling in it They were part of the Funks territory there in Amarillo And would cross over into New Mexico from Texas I know you grew up Watching a lot of the territorial Wrestling in New Mexico Do you Do a lot of Digging around sort of look at the history Of your Native state New Mexico as far as It relates to pro wrestling
0: Yeah I uh... Basically, I've looked at a lot of the stuff on the, things like kayfabe memories and some of those old sites. But Clovis, like I said, was part of the Amarillo territory. And, uh, I mean, when I was growing up, I was watching the Funks and Killer Carl Cox and all those guys. But uh, I would got the wrestling magazines back then, Wrestling Review, Wrestling World. And uh, it confused me because I was a total mark. And I couldn't understand how everybody in Amarillo loved the Funks. But everybody hated him in Florida, you know, because the magazines kind of—it was kind of the earliest thing we had, closest thing we had to internet back then. But uh, yeah, Clovis had quite a quite a history. I saw uh, a number of NWA world champions. I got to see Lethal and Gene Kaniski, Harley Grace came through, of course, Dory Funk Jr. and Terry Funk both were from the territory. I saw Pat O'Connor. It just—I mean, I saw uh, and Dory Senior was in good stead with so many promoters around the country, so I'd see a lot of people that, you, obviously, from... Uh, he'd, do a lot of, he'd do a lot of trades with Vern Garnier in the AWA, so I'd see people like Mad Dog with Sean, and uh, he also was very uh, close to Ed Fairhot, the chic, up in Detroit, so just about anybody that was somebody in wrestling came through uh, that area. And to think of a town, about 40,000 now, but it's probably a town of about Twenty-five or thirty thousand. Then, but I saw some of the biggest stars in wrestling. And those days, you you could live in a little town, and they'd come through.
1: You got into professional wrestling yourself later than most people get into the business, but you grew up watching sort of a different style, a different era of professional wrestling compared to what you actually did once you got in there yeah
0: well skandar did, was my mentor
1: and he taught us a lot of the old school ways
0: but uh yeah it has changed tremendously over the years it was a different type of storytelling and you know it's like uh sometimes it's just you know now it's just high spot high spot high spot and i'm okay with that but sometimes it feels like it's you know what they did in the old days they'd build up to the uh high spot if i can play a beginning a middle and an end
1: And when you got into it, were you expecting to have people to wrestle that was going to be more in a line of what you had grown up watching and enjoying, or did you know you would have to adapt to a more modern way of professional wrestling?
0: I you had, I was, Agler was going to teach at old school, but he also t- he wanted you to learn the basics and the fundamentals so that you could could adapt. Uh Because a number of uh, people that Ack had trained uh, were actually in the WWE. JBL was uh, trained by Ack and uh, X-Pac and Miss Jacqueline. A lot of them, you know, of course, even though he was trained by Chris Adams, still called Steve Austin, said that Ack got his career. Ack just said uh, his idea was it's okay to do these things, but he said always tell a story inside the ring. It's basically the idea that Ack upon us. And I, I have no problem either way. I mean, I just enjoyed what I watched, but I, also, I still enjoy what I see today. It's just, you know, it, I think it was inevitable because of cable, internet, and that things that things were going to uh, go in a different direction. You couldn't keep it the way you used to.
1: And the Amarillo territory that you watched, it was known for having a lot of blood in it, and big feuds usually led to matches where there was going to be blood. That's what the fans expected and were conditioned to anticipate going into a big match. In more modern times, as we learn more about bloodborne pathogens and medical technology and so forth, a lot of people in and out of the wrestling industry are of the mindset there should not be intentional blood within wrestling. Some state commissions have it in their rules that it is not allowed. I know you've worked in sort of the newer era where blood was not as regular as what you may have seen it growing up, but did you have a personal opinion on blood as it relates to wrestling as a performer?
0: Yeah, I think the whole thing, uh, I'm not a big fan of blood, but if you're going to do it, you've got to do it. Uh, Double blood matches where both wrestlers are bleeding, uh, there's dangers, like you say, different different, uh, diseases. I mean, people talk about Abdullah the Butcher and the uh, Uh, matches where he would bleed and so would his opponent. They said a lot of people were sewing him for hepatitis. But I can remember a tag team match when I was a kid. It was Dan Miller and Wahoo McDaniel against Don Jardine and Dutch Savage. All four of them were just pouring down blood, pouring blood out. uh, You definitely wouldn't see that today. But uh, that's what the fans, I think, back then came to see uh, because at that time they were trying to sell wrestling in a different way. They weren't talking storylines, they weren't talking uh what's coming up It's like you really believe that the 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 heels were the really bad guys and the faces were just all these Akbar used to say it was uh he said it was kind of like uh dragon slaying, you know, the hero comes to slay the dragon. He said the faces were the knights in shining armor and the hero the the heels were the were the uh, dragons, but I don't know. I'm not I I'm not against a little bit of blood, but I just think, you 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 know, it depends on, uh, I really don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> but uh, I could never do it. I I tried the blade one time, and I did not the eyebrow, and I went, oh, I'm not going to do that again.
1: Yeah, I didn't want, to, didn't want the star's Are issue on my head. You bring up an interesting point here. In your career, uh, you say you tried at one time, but did you have opponents that would often blade themselves and get collar in matches? Did that ever bother you as the person in the ring with them?
0: I never really had a – you know, uh, the promotion I did was – blood was pretty much uh, – gandhar Akbar didn't want that type of thing, his promotion – uh, and I've seen it, but it didn't, it didn't really bother me. Uh, sometimes I didn't want to be in there with, with somebody that sweated. And I mean, one guy was really like, my gosh, this guy is greasier than a, but yeah, I, I mean, I didn't want anybody bleeding. But, you know, I, before I ever wrestled, I boxed. So I was used to, uh, getting blood. Usually it was my own on myself. So, and, uh. But no, it didn't bother me much because, like I said, when you if you're ever in a boxing ring, just got anything in the wrestling ring is going to be, uh, I don't know if you'd say acceptable, but it's not going to gross you out too much because you know that you know you've been bled on in a boxing ring and you you know and uh, that was when people were fighting each other for real with, and with ill intent, so.
1: Obviously, even though they're both combat sports and they both take place in a ring, boxing and wrestling are very different things as far as presentation and acceptance and so forth and so on. Did you have any difference as far as how fans would react to you boxing to wrestling? Did you see... One of the other got you a more favorable impression with fans. Where did you see that? It was about the same type of reaction to you.
0: No, uh, wrestling. You're playing to the crowd. You're you're performing, and you're interacting in a way where you you're 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 trying to seek out that uh, fan reaction. In boxing, you hope they're going to cheer for you or whatever, but. Uh, You're more focused on the actual fight, and uh, of course, the fans are more into it a different way. But in wrestling, you know, wrestling is definitely more theatrical, and uh, the idea of wrestling. I I do, you know, I do magic shows too, and I. uh, Some people ask me, "What did you learn to perform like you do?" And I said, "I've done some public speaking. I've done some theater, but I said mainly from." Pro wrestling because you have to learn to get the crowd into it, and that's that's you know besides making a good match, that's one of the, uh, the main things with uh, pro wrestling is to make sure that fans are totally involved. That's what that's why I think that was a big problem during the pandemic. Uh, you could have all the people on the screens, but wrestling has to be performed in front of a live audience, and that's the main thing. You just want to you want to get them you want to get them to a, you want to turn them into a raving. Uh, crowd if you're the the heel, and you want them to just cheer you like
1: you're Superman if you're the face. Like you say, wrestling tends to sort of gear towards more for the fans. They're putting on a performance for the fans, trying to bring them into the storytelling and so forth. Did you find it easier having a background in public speaking and magic and things of that nature to be able to wrestle with more ease? Or did you find it easier in boxing where you didn't really have to focus on that and you could just focus on the actual sport of boxing?
0: Well, uh, it's kind of fun. I think when I boxed, I was uh, a little more on edge because I knew that, you know, you didn't know what was going to happen. You knew that uh, you were two guys in there, and, I mean, I don't want to say violently wanting to take each other's heads off, you want, you know, you wanted, but you didn't know, you knew you were going to definitely get hurt in boxing, and you got hurt in wrestling, too, but it was a lot more controlled situation, and I remember before my first match, somebody, one of the guys in the uh, dressing room said, are you nervous? I said, not really. He said, man, you should be. Why aren't you nervous? I said, because I've done this Several times before in boxing, I said I'm going in there. My my opponent Tim, uh, he know he knows what he's doing. We're protecting, you know, we're trying to make it look like we hate each other, but we're protecting each other. I said uh, I said he's going to as the finish was going to be a uh, he goes to his boot and takes out an illegal object and hits me. But I mean I knew this was not going to be like taking a shot in boxing where uh, the next day my head was going to hurt for uh, half the day and. Uh, and I'd wonder why I did it. I mean, I do, I was excited about my my first wrestling match, and I never felt nervous about going into the ring. I felt the excitement when the music started, and uh, my first thought when I came to the ring, everybody high fiving me, people hugging me, and I couldn't even hear my entrance music. And when I climbed through the ropes, I said, "I felt man, I feel like a Von Eric. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but uh, it's just it's just two different, just two different. Uh, situations.
1: One of the great popular parts of wrestling is tag team wrestling and a lot of wrestlers when they get into the business develop a preference for either tag teams or for singles for many, many different reasons. As an active wrestler did you have a personal preference as far as Wrestling in a tag team or singles,
0: I enjoyed singles more uh like i said i i uh i i guess I kind of enjoy the spotlight sometimes i uh and I don't mind sharing it. I remember there was a guy training with me, and we were coming together, and I was so hoping i i wanted to i know this i hope this doesn't come across wrong but we had talked about doing a team called ourselves the Ebony and Ivory Express. And, uh, you know, he was an African-American gentleman. But unfortunately, work took him out of the training. I was so disappointed because I looked so forward to being able to do shows under that, uh, that name because we really just had a chemistry. It was kind of like a, uh, we, we were so much alike in personalities, and I uh, just felt like we could have had a lot of fun. Just uh, doing a lot of tag teams. But other than that, I just never really was... I just enjoyed uh, working single more than anything. And I was scheduled to do one battle royal. After I'd already quit wrestling, a fellow from Midland, Texas uh, called me and asked me if I wanted to be in a battle royal. And I said, yeah, that sounds like fun. And uh, Then I fell off a ladder the week before and got injured (laughs) injured legitimately. And that kind of ended all my wrestling uh,
1: dreams. Now, as a person in wrestling, I know you are very well aware that a lot of pro wrestling also mirrors something else you do, which is magic. There's a lot of similarities in the two worlds. Uh, Some people from the outside may not understand the differences and the similarities, but people within the industry sort of get why they're very closely related. Do you think that you gravitated to one or the other based on your love of the other one? Does it two similar worlds enough that you just kind of fell in love with the both of them? Well,
0: I started out as a wrestling fan. Uh, When I was 14, I quit watching wrestling for a while, found magic somewhere in between. But I don't really had an influence on that. I got back into uh, enjoying wrestling because I worked out at a gym in Dallas, Texas and became friends with uh, Bruiser Brody and Rocky Johnson. And uh, that got me watching again. In fact, I met The Rock when he was seven years old, believe it or not. But yeah, there was a website a few years back that talked about how the carnivals, magic, and wrestling were kind of allied arts. But they're both very... You know, secretive. You, uh, especially back in the kayfabe days, you didn't want anybody knowing, seeing anything behind the scenes. And uh, I was at an independent show. I ah, well, about six or seven years ago. And uh, I was hanging hanging out. I don't a guy named Chris Germany. And Chris had you know, he worked world class in a number of uh,
1: organizations
0: back in the ter- but we saw some guys out in the lobby practicing their matches as the crowd was coming in. And uh, we walked up to them. I said, guys, you can't, you're destroying the illusion. I said, I'm also a magician. I said, uh, no no magician would ever practice his magic tricks before, the, you know, in front of an audience. I said, you destroy the mystique and the illusion. And that's basically what you have at both sides. You're, you're trying to uh, make people believe something or to suspend belief uh for a while. I mean, I think no people know that uh people know that rabbits don't really come out of nowhere in my magic show. But they also I think realize that uh, my friend Tim who was spoiler two thousand, I I think they realized that uh, you know, we didn't really hate each other's guts, but you know, for that uh that time we're in the ring you uh you want to suspend that. You want to believe, and I think it's the the, uh, the job of the magician or the worker to sell that to the best to the best uh, that you can. But yeah, I see a lot of similarities
1: in magic and uh, wrestling. For sure. Now I know a lot of wrestlers when they first start out have that trouble understanding not to be working. On a series of moves in front of the eyes of the fans, I've seen that a few times in the last year or so, and usually I point out as gently as possible not the best place to be doing that.
0: Yeah, and that's what I you know said. I wasn't. I didn't sit there and go, "What you know?" It's just like guys, you you know, you're, you're you're trying to sell. You're trying to make these people believe, and if they see you practicing out here in the lobby you're not going to have any effect when you step through the ropes because nobody's going to care. And so, uh, and, gosh, I, uh, I mean, if Skandar Akbar seen us doing that, he would, I mean, he would have hit, hit the roof. But, I mean, I try to carry it even, you know, as long as we were in the arena, I tried to uh, keep it going. It's like, uh, if I went out to sign autographs and I saw my opponent, we would, You know the match may have been over, but we're still glaring at each other like, you know, you got lucky or whatever. You just wanted to carry the whole thing there. I was, I was in a restaurant with a friend that I had to wrestle with. He wore a mask, and uh, somebody came into the restaurant. We were having my friend and I were having a beer, and they said, "I thought you wrestled tonight." And I said, "Did you really?" Said, "Yeah, I really enjoyed it." They turned to my friend and said, were you there tonight? And I was kind of grinning. I said, oh, yeah, he was there. They didn't recognize him as my opponent earlier in the evening.
1: <laughs> One of the things that wrestlers can sometimes struggle with is finding places on the road to eat. Because usually after a show you have a few hours' drive to get back home or get to the next town. Mm-hmm. Many places close down well before the wrestling show actually ends, so it sometimes can be a struggle. Did you personally have much trouble on the road being able to find ways to eat on the road and uh, be well, able to make sure you had a good dinner?
0: I can't say I had any real problems, but I mean, I, I, like I said, I always say that I really just had a cup of coffee in the business and a sip of that cup. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can remember, uh, uh, no, oh, we did a show, uh, Texarkana and, uh, uh, we didn't stop on the way back to Dallas and I was riding in Skandar Akbar's car. All I want to do is make sure I got home safe. I love that. But, man, that's driving. Scared the hell out of me. But, no, I never saw a real problem with that. But then again, like I said, I talked to some of the guys that really uh, did it back in the uh, old school days. And especially on the hills, uh, you know, if they really recognize well hills like Skandar Ackbar, he said, I never knew uh when somebody served me uh, a hamburger or something, what they might have put in the middle of it because he said back then they took he said I yes said I was so hated. He said my biggest fear was not finding a place but hoping I could go in there and they didn't hate me enough to you know spit in the food or worse. So uh, being a heel back it had to be uh a little different than being a hill in the Indies or even the WWE or AEW now.
1: I know you weren't active for a very long time, but one of the things that is vital to a wrestler is his traveling bag, where he carries all of his wrestling gear, merchandise, anything he needs for the show. It's the wrestling equivalent to a briefcase, basically. Did you have any... Set brand or set type of bag that you used that made things easier for you personally when you went out to shows?
0: I just had a big old gym bag. I mean, you know, that's all I I ever carried. I mean it had my uh trun- trunks, you know, my well my uh tights, my actually singles is what I wore. Uh boots, uh whole uh I mean, I've traveled pretty light pretty light. But again, I I didn't travel like a lot of the guys today. I was uh, I got to hang out two weeks ago. We had this thing called the Texas shootout in Dallas air area. And uh it's where a lot of the guys that wrestled in uh, Texas get together and they kinda keep it secret because they don't want the fans showing up or anything. But I was listening to a lot of these guys that worked have been working in the Indies for ten or twenty years and some of these guys, I mean, they're really, uh, if you excuse me, especially road warriors. I mean, I'm talking to these guys, and I say, well, uh, these are not well-known guys, but they're still traveling the rounds. It's like one guy will talk about, well, he might work South Texas for most of his time, but he gets an opportunity. He may end up, you know, working in uh, Omaha or working in uh, somewhere in Georgia or Florida. So, I mean, like I said, the Indies have really, Taken off in a different way than when I was doing it because you're lucky sometimes to uh, sometimes it seemed like there were more uh, wrestlers in the dressing room than there were fans in the crowd. But indie, indie uh, wrestling has really taken off in the last few years. I mean, I don't know how many indie shows we have in uh, Dallas. Uh, there's one that works weekly shows in the mid cities. Uh, there's one I used. I, I haven't been to one of the shows lately, but there's one uh, called sore Wrestling, which is run by a former WWF star, Sir Moe, of uh, Men on a Mission. And uh, I mean, you you always find and I, when, I, when I talk to other workers, I, I always say, "Well, who trained you?" You know, and suddenly, if I don't know the name, I'm going, I kind of wonder. But I mean, there's a couple of guys that talk about how they were trained by Dory Funk Jr. and I talked about how I was trained by But I see you. You get a little, you kind of start marking out when you see who people are trained by, I guess. But yeah, independent wrestling is getting more like the. Uh, I'm not gonna say it's like the territorial days, but a lot of guys, we were weekend warriors, and uh, you know we knew we weren't gonna be working the Tuesdays and the Wednesdays, and you know it's like it's gonna be Friday, maybe a Saturday or a Sunday show on a week, but uh, that's. Uh, but I'm seeing now; it seems like it's more and more getting back to where guys are going to find work all over the place they look for. It. But it's it's it's
1: mainly marketing themselves and selling themselves. In looking at today's landscape, like you said, independent wrestling is white hot right now with a lot of yeah. groups doing very very well. If you were able to come back and have one more match against anybody you wanted anywhere in the country for a promotion of your choosing where do you think you would most like to have that match oh gosh uh i
0: let me think about that for a minute because i would uh i would just just, be, just because it was uh, such a Palace to me I I would love to have a match somewhere you know in Madison Square Garden because I mean that was the mecca of all sports arenas when I was growing up you know I always when I was a kid I said man I hope I get to box in Madison there's something there's something that just stands out and just the fact that you know New York being the Big Apple uh that would be something kind of special you know as, a, as, as an opponent I wouldn't know you know somebody somebody wouldn't hurt me too bad because, I mean, you know, I'm a 70-year-old man now, so.
1: <laughs> Hopefully, if they're good enough to wrestle in Madison Square Garden, they're good enough to refrain from hurting you.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'd I'd want somebody, that, you know, the kind of guys that can make you look good. uh I mean, because there's some guys who sit and go, man, they look like they're spectacular, but at the same time they make their opponent look good. That's kind of like what Ric Flair used to do. People like, he like, you know, he'd come in there, he he could tell, he, I remember he was talking to talk with some guy that was really nervous about getting the ring with him, and Rick said, I'm going to make you look like, who was I going to say, I'm, anyway, uh, he said, I'm going to make you look like Ricky Steamboat tonight. Because Flair knew how to make, and that, that's what helped me in the first few matches. I was in there with a guy that uh, was so well versed and so experienced. I mean, he could he could have made anybody look like a star. And I think that's why Agbar put him, me in there with him that first night because, like I said, this guy's going to guide you through it. And uh, you know, didn't didn't feel a thing. It's kind of like I think somebody we in Texarkana. I can't remember somebody was wrestling against Greg the Hammer Valentine and. I said, what
1: was it like? And he said,
0: didn't even feel him, you know. Didn't even
1: feel him. I've worked with Greg the Hammer Valentine myself, and that is very accurate. I've got
0: the DVD. You sent me the DVD years ago.
1: Indeed, yeah. Yeah, I've still got that
0: DVD. I watched watched it recently.
1: He did put over to the locker room how he slaughtered me as a way to kind of Fill me up, but, yeah, in reality, I never felt it. Now, looking at things from a fan's point of view, if you had the ability, knowing what you know now, to go back in time and attend a show in any territory where you hadn't previously attended a wrestling event, What's the one territory you would want to go visit?
0: I would like to have seen uh, the mid nineteen sixties uh, AWA when you, where you had uh, Dick the Bruiser and the Crusher versus Harley Race and Larry Hennig. It was just stacked with so many uh, monsters. Of course, that's what I was reading about in the wrestling magazines, and uh, just the idea of well, you know, Victor Bruiser especially just seemed like this myth- mythical monster. Uh, I think it. I think at the time, I think Bruiser was more well known than Crusher. I think in retrospect, people remember Crusher more than they do the Bruiser. But I just really thought because I, I had I had pen pals, we would trade uh, programs uh, uh, with each other, and. I'd get a pro, you know, I'd get one of those programs from Chicago, and I'd give them one from Clovis. We just pass them around. I think the one wrestler I, as a kid, that I wanted to see that I never got to see, I was a big fan of uh, Dick Buyer, the intelligent, uh, the sensational intelligent destroyer, but I never got to see him wrestle. And uh, I don't know what it was. I just had to say I, I, I had a big thing about mask wrestlers back then because the gimmick was different back then. You know you the masked wrestler would come in and beat everybody up and you yeah, the one show time you're going I hope they unmask him I hope they, and of course on rare uh, except on rare occasions in the major territories uh the wrestler rare, very rarely got unmasked but i had a, I was really big on things like you know the Spoiler, uh the intelligence sensational destroyer and some of those guys back then those were my those were my guys I would love to John somewhere and seen the Destroyer wrestle back in the 60s.
1: Now, in later years, did you watch very much of the Destroyer's son, Kurt Beyer, when he was wrestling?
0: No, I didn't. It's funny, Kurt and I are Facebook friends. And I've gone back and looked at some of the uh, uh, YouTube stuff about Kurt. And it's funny, I can remember a picture of Back in the '60s, the wrestling magazine where he was just a little bitty guy, and his dad had his had his mask on. He had had a little mask on, Kurt. But I've not met Kurt, but Kurt sounds like I'd love to get up to uh, that area and just visit with him. I think I'd have a good time just sitting down, sitting around having a few beers with him.
1: For sure. One of the things that wrestling fans have now that fans in previous generations did not are the wrestling conventions. They have become very, very popular in the last decade or so. Uh, Heroes and Legends Wrestling in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, tomorrow, a good example, where you have a meet-and-greet, fan-fest type of situation during the day, and then in the evening they have live wrestling matches with some of the legends and some of the local independent stars but things like wrestlecon has become massive the cac which opened up to fans a few years ago has become sort of a massive convention do you personally ever attend some of these wrestling conventions to meet not only the wrestlers but a lot of the fans that you wouldn't normally come across in your day-to-day life
0: it's been a few years. We had a WrestleCon in Arlington between Dallas and Fort Worth, and uh, Mick Foley was there. Uh, uh, Steve, Dr. Death Williams, Kamala, uh, uh, Missing Link, Killer Tim Brooks, Akbar was there. Of course, Killer Carl Cox, Sputnik, Monroe, just guys I kind of grew up watching, and it was a thrill. But I haven't really been to any real real conventions. I've been kind of stuck in the Dallas area for a while watch that we do have they we have had this thing that they just started it up again, which uh years ago Red Bastine started uh, what he called the Texas shootout where old school wrestlers get you know get together and they talk and tell stories uh and that's where I met killer Carl Cox who introduced me to Akbar and that's how I ended up getting into wrestling and I still miss Carl. To this day, Killer Carl Cox was the best friend I ever had in this business. But uh, yeah, though, but those were not meant for fans. I just had to be, got, get lucky because I got invited by Carl, and I had no clue that I would get into the wrestling business. It's just I started hanging out with Akbar, and, and Akbar school on and They said, "Hey, would you let an old fart like me do this?" And, and it's based on that movie, The Rookie. He said, "Yeah, it's never been done." And is how I got into, it. but it, yeah, I, I just the most the ones I've gone to have just been for uh, wrestlers. I went to one, like I said, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Missy Hyatt was there. Eric Embry, who ran the Dallas office after Von Erichs, was there. Steve Simpson, who was I remember the Simpson brothers, who were almost as hot as Von Aries for a short while here, and then then a the big guy, in a cowboy hat came in and sat down at my table, and that was JBL, and I'd never met him before, and I was very impressed. I I've heard stories about JBL, but he turned out to be a lot uh, I don't know, I guess all the stories i would heard about him, some people said he was a bully, but he seemed like a very nice guy to me. It was just kind of fun just sitting there and talking to him and uh, enjoying it. But that. Was, like I said, that wasn't really a fan uh, thing. That was for uh, wrestlers themselves, but I just haven't attended, but I would like to attend some. I see some of them uh, down in the South. I think there's one that Every year, that's dedicated to the memory of Bruiser Brody, and a lot of guys come in for that. And uh, uh, I'm glad to see that Frank getting that recognition still, all these years after his unfortunate death. But uh, yeah, I almost got. I, there was a wrestling school down from the gym that I used to that uh, Bruiser Brody and I used to work out at, and I went down there and sat in there for a while. And I, this was, we're talking late 70s, but I came out of the, we went up to the gym and Bruce and Brody came up and said, I need to talk to you. So I said, are you thinking about getting into this business? I said, well, I was like just hanging out there, Frank. He said, he said, because I consider you a very good friend and I would never, well, I don't want to see you in this business because I don't want to see you get hurt. And uh, of course, that meant a lot to me then. It means a lot more to me now because, uh People have their opinions, whatever opinions they want to. But he was a really good man. I kind of go, I kind of go off on tangents so I? <laughs> oh, you're
1: all good. You're all good. Now, someone else in the Dallas area that is still around there, that's been very, very important within professional wrestling, is James Beard. He's one of the best referees to ever do the profession. Still to this day he's very sought after by many different promotions. He's worn several different hats in the industry from referee to promoting to helping train guys to being the authority figure. Very, very well experienced. Do you run into James Beard very often in your travels?
0: It's been a couple of years, and I consider James a very good friend. That first Texas shootout I went to, James was there, and uh, we became friends. We, we we used to talk to each other on the phone a lot, and uh, I did my short career, and then we, had, we were going to do a uh, retirement match for me in a little town called Ennis, and uh, it, it, it fell through, but it was going to be, it was going to be against the same opponent I had at the beginning, and James at that time had retired and had not refereed in a long time, and of course, like I said, since then he's, you know, you you can't stay out of the business, somebody, you know, especially somebody like James. But he said that he was willing to come out of uh, retirement just for that one match, just just uh, because he thought enough of me and Cam. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, I think the world of James. He is uh, a legendary. Uh, Referee, but just one of the nicest guys in the business, too.
1: Absolutely he is, and I always carry a copy of his book in my travel bag so I can refer to it. Oh, yeah, excellent book. But. Now, besides James Beard, I know you worked with a few different referees, and you have obviously watched many referees as a fan as well. Who, in your opinion, are some of the greatest all-time referees? Well, growing up – I mean, not growing up. I was already growing up here. But uh,
0: the years I started watching world-class, I uh, David Manning, I enjoyed his work. And uh, I was disappointed that David didn't show up at the thing a couple weeks ago. David Manning was a good referee in this area. And I'm trying to think of this other guy because, like I said, most of the referees I watched were in this this area, because, uh, I mean, you know, it used to be uh, the referee used to be much more of a part of the show than, you know, now they just kind of like just stay, stay out of the way. And, but back in those days, I mean, the referee, uh, the way he timed it in the I tried to uh, referee, you know, this is at the wrestling school, I tried to referee a match. And at the end of it, Akbar said, "No, you need to be a worker. You sure can't. You sure can't referee." <laughs> so I admire what a referee does, and that that's. It seems like the simplest thing in the world to me. It's harder than uh, working a match. You know, you got to know how to get stay out, get out of the way, stay out of the way, know where to get down, how you know how time, what to see, what not to see. Uh, there's a lot of psychology and art just to be a professional wrestling referee.
1: That is very, very true. One of the other important roles that a lot of fans may not appreciate fully, a lot of times people in the business don't fully appreciate it, is the role of the ring announcer. They're a vital part of the success of a show because a lot of fans see them rightly or wrongly as the man in charge of a given show, they look at the ring announcer as the person giving the information, and a lot of times in their mind, that makes him the person in charge of the show. It has evolved over time as far as what a ring announcer does, what they wear, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Who are some of the better ring announcers, do you think, historically within professional wrestling.
0: Wow, yeah. Wow. Uh, I can go, but I start to say Gordon Sully, but I don't think of Sully so much as a ring announcer, as a uh, commentator. But uh, I saw Mark Lorenz uh, about two weeks ago at that event. And uh, I used to know, uh, good grief, uh, what is wrong with my brain today? Uh, like I said, I just got home, but uh, goodness, this guy was a newsman. He's almost he's getting close to 100 years old. And he's still sharp as a whip, and that's more than I can say for myself. careful uh, yeah, well, you would see somebody, you can't think of their names. But uh, are you talking about just—are you talking about the ones that are doing, the, are sitting at ringside giving the? Uh, commentary such as like when Gorilla Monsoon and uh, Bobby Heenan
1: uh, Bill uh, Bill More so like what Howard Finkel would do where you're announcing the match and winner and so forth.
0: I like Bill Mercer quite a bit but but that's because I I got to know Bill and uh, Bill I mean, Bill actually did some announcing for you know the Cowboys and Rangers, and was actually involved with some of the reporting of the Kennedy assassination. But I always kind of like Bill Mercer for some reason. Bill just seemed to—I you know, like to see how it interacts with the wrestlers. It's not just, ladies and gentlemen, here's this guy, that guy, and steps out ring. somebody is like gets in the middle of the ring and he's interviewing them. And I always enjoyed the. Interaction between Skandar Akbar and, uh, oh, God, I mentioned a minute ago, uh, anyway, uh, Mark Lawrence, because, uh, Lawrence would be in there and Akbar would do his thing like, Carrie Von Eric, you don't stand a chance tonight when you step in the ring with Kamala. Mark Lorenz would start to say something and Akbar would go, shut up, Mark Lorenz, I ain't keep talking yet. Of course, Lawrence would act indignant, but, you know, just the guys that were able to just, uh, do more than just grab the microphone and say, "In this corner is this guy, in this corner is that," and just exit out of the ring. I like, and I liked Finkel. I really did. I, I thought he was uh, entertaining. Of course, uh, uh, I enjoyed Mean Gene Okerlund, but there's just a number of them. there's so many of them I've seen that you know are, are very obscure, but they they just knew how to. And, like I said, you you think of a good ring announcer. And people will talk about, like, while in the Dallas area, uh, everybody, you know, of course, the names are beginning to fade to a lot of people because it's another generation. We're talking 40 years now. But there's a lot of people that, you know, you mentioned old school wrestling, and they'll remember Bill Mercer and uh, Mark Lorenz as quickly as they'll remember a lot of the wrestlers. So, uh, I mean, a ring announcer in his own right becomes celebrity within a territory. And uh, I am I am looking forward to seeing the uh, Von Eric movie that's coming out, too. You've heard about that, I'm sure. Absolutely, with uh, Zach Efron, I believe, starring in it. Yeah, he's going to play uh, Kevin. I've seen pictures of him. He looks like he's gotten so bulked up, he looks almost like he, he could play Kerry. But it's going to be fun for me to see that because I'm, I want to see who plays the guy that plays Bruiser Brody and the guy that plays Skandar Akbar. since those guys, I was so close to both guys. Yeah.
1: One of the things in the last 20 years or so that has become very popular with wrestling fans and people within the business, for that matter, are the books about wrestling and individual wrestlers. Ever since Mick Foley had yes. monumental success with his book, the Marketplace got flooded with books, having to oh, yeah. do with professional wrestling. Do you have a favorite wrestling-related book?
0: Well, uh, I guess I do because it was signed to me personally. And whether it's people considered it a good book or not, it meant something to me was In the Pit with, with Roddy Piper, The Pit with Piper, because somebody had said, I can't even remember the incident, but somebody had uh, criticized him about something on some uh, uh wrestling uh website, and I thought it was unfair and I took up for him and I got contacted by the guy that was uh I don't know what you'd call him, his literary agent or whatever, but they were having a book signing at a borders and uh, I walked in and uh, i I saw the guy I said yeah I said i i'm Jarvis Young, well, well, hang on a second. He said, you're the guy that uh, uh, took Piper's side on this issue, and I don't even know what the issue was. And he said, hang on a second. And he asked her to be the front of the line, said, Rowdy, this is the guy I was telling you about that uh, took up for you. Said, and Piper said, uh, said, oh, God bless you. He said, give him a free book, and he took the book and si- uh, signed it for me. And so, just that gesture made it uh, Special for me, of course. Like I said, I got uh, "Have a Nice Day" by Mick Foley, and I've been fortunate enough to have met Mick years ago. But, uh, but yeah, I just—I guess it's just that special meaning. And it, of course, anything about the Terry—I want to get the. Uh, there's a new book by by Dory Funk Jr. Uh, that I've been wanting to get really badly, and I need to get my hands on that one. Because, like I said, Dory Jr. and Kerry Funk are the guys I grew. In fact, if there's any wrestler I could meet, I could sit down, and of course I, I'd say this maybe, a couple of years ago because I understand he's not quite himself. But if there's any wrestler, I would love to just sat down and just, uh, had had dinner, a beer with. It would have been Terry Funk, just because I could love would love the stories about him, and just love to talk to him.
1: Do you have in your collection, one piece of memorabilia, whether it's a or a program or a pair of tights or anything like that that you would consider your stand out in your collection?
0: Well, I do have my, the trunks from, you know, my tights from the first uh, match I did, which are, they're god-awful. They look like, you know, they look like Spider-Man tights. But, I mean, those are boots I wore. I, those are special. But as far as other things, I used to collect wrestling posters that they put in the windows in my hometown of Clovis, and uh, the one I favored most was a poster. When you had a super card in Clovis, you would have it at the minor league ballpark, and uh, this one was, uh, it had about five different, the people on the card, it had the Jose Lothario, I think, versus Klondike Bill, uh, the mighty Yankee versus Tim Woods, uh, Dory Funk Jr. Terry Funk versus Iron Mike DiBiase, and I can't remember who DiBiase's partner was. And the main event was Ricky Romero versus Lou Fez, and that was uh, that was quite a super card for a small town in New Mexico. But that post that poster, but I, I wish I had it
1: signed. Well, we are getting to the last few minutes of the show. And I want to make sure there's ample time for you. If you have absolutely anything at all you would like to say to the listeners, plug and promote anything you want, any upcoming things you're doing, social media, your favorite barbecue place, anything you would like, floor is all yours.
0: Well, I'm getting back into doing
1: uh, my magic and doing,
0: I'm, um, you know, I've, I want to protect kids. I want to do those things. I think what I'd say to anybody that's a wrestling fan is do promote the independent uh, shows. I mean, uh, you can see some of the best, and I'll admit some of the worst uh, in pro wrestling at uh, indie shows, but these are the guys that need to support. These are the guys that are the future. These are the guys that are eventually going to be on uh, AEW and WWE and uh, MLW and... uh, all the you know these things i think it's good to go out and support these guys i mean uh it's kind of thrill when you go you go to an independent show and then years later you see the guy you were watching in a real in, at a at a elk club uh making the roster of one of the big big things and uh yeah i mean i'm sitting around right now i've been uh, my mind's been a little bit on the events that took place in the dallas area this last weekend and i uh went to this it was a Mass shooting north of Dallas, and I went by the memorial service and I guess I just wish that I just wish we would all learn to i just wish that some way or another these things would never happen again, but I know they will, but I don't have anything really to promote, but uh you know just take care of each other and uh, go out and enjoy some wrestling and uh Make the most of life.
1: Service, as usual, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. We very much appreciate you taking the time to be with us. And any time you want to swing by and talk some professional wrestling, you're definitely welcome back here.
0: Man, I, it was my pleasure. Like I said, yeah, I got about a, i – I'm going to watch SmackDown about an hour. So, you know, I, I, see, I still watch it. <laughs> Not, not I, I, and I still enjoy it. But i you know, I go like, okay, I would have done this. I would have, I, but I always like to guess what the next thing coming is. But, but uh, yeah, I'll be watching that in just about an hour.
1: All right. Well, Ben, if you have not, if you can find it on the YouTube, go watch Jarvis's time and professional wrestling. You can also find him up on the KFA Memories memory board. Uh, so there's ways out there to get familiar with him we will be back with you on Sunday afternoon coming up this Sunday we have the brother of a turnbuckle turmoil hall of fame member Kevin Sullivan on the show we have Dave Sullivan coming to the program you might know him best as the equalizer from here in the Pacific Northwest or EVAD from when he was a Hulkamaniac but Dave Sullivan joins us on sunday one week from this very day we are rejoined by another trombical turmoil hall of fame member paul Freakshine. he will be back first time he's joined us since his brain surgery a few months ago so we're delighted he is well and able to join us everybody continue to stay safe out there go find your local independent wrestling support them buy some merchandise support what they do, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you, Jake.
0: Not for now When I'm giving this all I got Cause I never back down